Our scripture this morning comes from Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 through 8. I'll read and you can follow along on the screen. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. There was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. May God add his blessing to his word. We're two days removed from Christmas. We're kind of in this weird place between Christmas and New Year where we're really not sure what time it is or what day it is. Maybe we've kind of been there for a while with COVID if you've been working from home or not going out as often, but we're, we're in this kind of lull this week between Christmas and New Year's. There's always one full week between Christmas Day and New Year's Day. And maybe you kind of feel like you're in recovery mode or resting or relaxing between the two. But Christmas morning, I woke up a little before 7 o'clock and started making breakfast for the family. We only had a couple people over for, just to be safe. We had my, my in-laws and my mom come over and uh, started making the bacon, homemade sausage gravy for biscuits and gravy, cinnamon rolls with homemade icing, the whole bit. So I made a, a big breakfast. The kids slept until 8 and 8.15, which is amazing. And uh, so they woke up and right away wanted to open the gifts, but we were going to have breakfast first. So we ate breakfast. Around 9.30, the kids started to get into the gifts, and Addie's three now, and Joel is a year and a half. He's really good at opening gifts because he can watch his older sister. Addie, at his age, was not as good at opening gifts. We needed to help her, but he watches his sister do it, so he can rip right into them. So they start opening gifts at 9.30. We start exchanging. Everyone's had their breakfast. By 11.30, my mom went home to get ready for her dinner plans. My in-laws went home to get ready for their dinner plans. All the gifts were open, and it kind of felt like wow, it's done. Like there's this letdown, like it's been months of planning. I keep running lists in my phone of gift ideas for people. So if in March someone says, oh, I want, I keep a list in my phone and I check them off. So months long of planning, hours of cooking, money spent, time spent, plans made, and in two hours, it's done. I sat on the couch next to my wife, the kids were playing, and I said, I can't believe it's over. Like, We have other things to do still. You know, we have other gatherings coming up for Christmas still, a couple people to exchange with. But it just feels like it's it's over. There's kind of like this letdown, like, oh man, we took all this time to get ready and that's it, it's done. Similarly, maybe I can give another example. Before we had kids, my wife and I went on a, a long Disney vacation. So I'd only been to Disney for about two days. My grandfather in law took the whole family before Jess and I were even married. We were in college still, so we couldn't go for the 10 days, but we went for a weekend. 
And as most of you will know, you cannot accomplish Disney in two days. There's no way. So we didn't even get foot in Animal Kingdom. You know, we ran through the nations of Epcot. So we booked a nine-day and eight-night trip for ourselves before we had kids. So uh, we stayed at All Star Sports. We had the hopper passes. We had the dining plan. We went all out. We, we took care of everything. Everything was paid for. And it was a great week. Now, we arrived the weekend of Labor Day. And what was nice is after Labor Day Monday, every kid in the country is back to school, even up here. And it's rare that parents will take their kids out of the first week of school. So the parks were empty. So some of the rides that normally have long waits, like Soren, Seven Dwarfs Mine Train, we waited 20 minutes. It was amazing. It's almost like we had Disney to ourselves. There were so few people there. But what's interesting is, like day by, by day six or seven, after walking, you know, 16,000 steps a day, my wife and I were like a couple of teenagers complaining that there was nothing to do. We're like, we're kind of bored. Like, what do you want to do? Oh, well, we already did this. We already did that. Do we want to do that again? I don't know. And I realize that sounds incredibly spoiled because it is. But after six or seven days, we'd done everything so much, there was kind of like this letdown during the vacation. Like we were still on this amazing vacation and it felt like we were disappointed. And it's crazy to think like the happiest place on earth with everything to do and we love Disney, that we would feel let down on day seven. But it's a reality. It's, it's, it's wrong. I'm not saying it's right and I'm not saying that it's not awful to be spoiled like that. But it's a reality. We should have been living the dream. No kids, no responsibilities, nothing to do. Everything's paid for. And after a few days of it, we were tired. We were physically tired. We were drained. And we still had a great trip, don't get me wrong. If we transition over to the disciples, imagine them for three years giving up everything. Their families, their jobs, their money to follow Jesus. And then he dies on the cross. Imagine the letdown. You gave up everything to follow this guy. And he's gone. He dies. And likewise, when he comes back from the dead, and that's amazing, he ascends into heaven. So you have these feelings of like, well, what the heck? To be clear, I'm not saying that what Jesus does is a letdown. I'm not saying that the gospel is a letdown. I'm not saying that Jesus' death on the cross or ascension into heaven is a letdown. What I'm saying is the disciples were so let down that they locked themselves in a room because they didn't know what to do after Jesus ascended. Because for three years, he led their every step, and now they're left with what they feel like is nothing. Right? Even in our faith walk, as we do our best to follow Jesus and know him more and, and pray and worship and learn and grow, there are absolutely letdowns in our faith walk. We feel like God isn't listening sometimes, or we feel like we shouldn't have to deal with X, Y, or Z because we're a Christian, or we feel like God is a million miles away. I'll reiterate, this is not to say that there are letdowns in what God does or who Jesus is or what Jesus does. But for the disciples who followed Jesus and gave their whole lives for three years, I absolutely think that they were let down when he left them. For us who have been following Jesus for however many years it's been or however long it's been, I'm willing to bet that there have been some letdowns during your, your discipleship walk with Jesus where you just feel like things aren't the way that they're supposed to be, or you feel like things could be better, or you feel like God could maybe answer your prayers a little better, or you feel like you wouldn't have to deal with this because you're a Christian. So why does it feel this way? Like, why are there letdowns on Christmas Day and on Disney vacations and following Jesus? Why, why are things not better? Why are things not ideal? Because nothing in this world is perfect. 
Disney World is not perfect. Christmas Day is not perfect. I'm not perfect. My friends and family aren't perfect. My kids aren't perfect. Sin, unfortunately, has a hold on everything. Even on our faith walks. Like, if we've been following Jesus for 50 years, it does not mean that sin doesn't still have an effect on our lives. It doesn't still affect the way that we follow Jesus. I wish I could tell you that that wasn't true. But even in the most godly, Christ-like way that we try to live, sin will have an impact. Because it's everywhere. And we will be let down, and we will let ourselves down, and things about our faith and our attempts to get to God will let us down. Nothing in this world lasts. Everything in this world, even something that might last your entire life, does not last eternally outside of Jesus. Right? And that can be disappointing, knowing that it's going to be gone or losing it or realizing it's lost. Those kinds of things can have put a damper on our lives, can make us feel let down because we realize it's fleeting or it's gone or we'll never have it all or never keep it. Right? Here's the other thing. Good things in this life cost us a lot. That, that vacation to Disney, my wife booked it, we went through a travel agent. I found out about five years later what we paid for that vacation. Oh. We vacationed for a week for less than half of the price that we paid for nine days in Disney. It was definitely a letdown to realize that we paid about dollars to go on that trip. Not complaining, but it's a reality. Holy cow, we paid that much money to do that for nine days. But even other things, our relationships, like our friendships and our our families, that costs us a lot. Think of the time and energy and effort and money and thoughts that go into a, a relationship or a friendship with your friends or family. Like these things, there's a cost to them. It takes effort and talent and time and energy to sustain a relationship with your friends, your family, your kids, your spouses, your siblings. And that's why it can be a letdown because when we don't feel like we're getting a return on that investment, when we're spending all this time and energy and it frustrates us or someone lies to us or someone hurts us or someone backstabs us or we let someone down, the good things in this life have an incredible cost that can cause us to be upset by how things work out. Here's the ultimate diagnosis though. The life that we're living right now, even as Christians, is not what we were designed for. Do you want to know why everything in this world is a letdown? Do you want to know why even things in the church will let you down? Do you want to know why even things as you follow Jesus will let you down? Because this existence is not what we were created for. It's always going to be insufficient. We're always going to be looking for more because this is not what we were made for. So if we look at our scripture, John is writing down what he sees, and if you remember right before this, it's kind of like scorched earth. Right? Jesus kind of wipes everything out. The world is in disarray as he kind of sets things right. Sin is in the process of being destroyed. And John says, Then I see a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth has passed away. This is not God recreating what already was. This is not him repairing something. This is him creating new. Because the old was tarnished. The old earth was tarnished. The old heaven is not sufficient for what God would have, so a new earth and a new heaven are built. And John says, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. 
So as John sees the vision of Jerusalem, the new city descending onto earth, he looks at that and says, I, the only earthly comparison that he has is a husband watching his bride walk down the aisle. Because in most traditions, the, man, the, man doesn't see, the groom doesn't see the bride until she walks down the aisle. So there's that authentic response of him standing in the front of the church, seeing her walk down the aisle in that amazement. It's beautiful. That's what John attributes seeing New Jerusalem come to earth. It's the most beautiful thing he's seen, and that's the closest earthly connection he can make. He hears a loud voice from God saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people. He will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. Does God exist with us now? Yes. By the power of the Holy Spirit, I believe God is in this room physically now because the Spirit is here. I don't think that is the same thing as what God is saying here. Because you have to think like God would have existed in the tabernacles, like God would have had bounds on where they believed him to be. And when he comes down in this new city and we live among him, he is right here. God dwells with us and we dwell with him directly. There's there's some theologians that believe, and I don't know that this is scriptural, that in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve could communicate with God in their head because they were so closely connected. And we've lost that. And when I read this, it kind of feels like that closeness is reestablished between humanity and God, where they have that ability to communicate again. So God says, I will be with them and I will be their God and they will be with me. Verse 4, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. So when we think about heaven, We love things like no more death and pain. Those are tangible, sinful things that we feel in our life. The sting of death of losing someone we love or knowing that our life is not eternal here on this earth. And pain, whether that's physical pain, emotional struggle, we know pain. Those are tangible sins. But when I think about him saying that there's no mourning and there's no, I think about like no worry. We are so numb to those things that we don't even realize that they're sins affecting our life. When we sit down to confess our sins or we talk about the sin that exists in our life, well, I lied, I swore, I stole something, someone cheated in a game. Like We talk about the tangible things. We don't say, you know, worry has really been wrecking my life lately. Or I've really been mourning the state of my life or the, the people that I've lost. We don't look at that as sin. It's so prevalent in our life that we're numb to it. But the reality is that is sin that will be removed when we are restored by God. We will not worry anymore. There will be nothing to mourn anymore. Those things are part of the old and will be destroyed. That is amazing. God once again speaks when he says, I'm making everything new. So I believe, this is a Steve Brain thought, that the reason the universe is ever expanding is because God's power is limitless. He didn't put a cap on how much he created from when he created the earth in seven days. Even now, I believe God is still creating because his power is limitless. If the universe stopped expanding, it would be like God's power had stopped working. That's just my kind of theology in my head. So when God says, I'm making everything new. So new earth is created, new heaven is created, things are made right, we've been restored with God, and he's still not done. He's constantly working, creating, 
making things new, which is amazing. It's not like it's the job is done. So God wipes his hands of it and says, you guys are great, I'm great, we're done here. God's still making things new. Then he says to John, write this down. These words are true. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. We are striving toward, waiting for, working toward, hearing the words, it's done. Maybe ours sound more like, well done, good and faithful servant. But we are waiting and striving for it, meaning this broken life, to be done. He says, to the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. If you remember when Jesus meets the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, and she comes to draw water, and he says, I have water that if you drink, you'll never be thirsty again. And she goes, I I want that water, right? This is what God is talking about. Now that things have been restored, you will drink the water that will make you never be thirsty again. That's what we're striving for. That's what we're hoping for. That's what we're working toward as Christians. He says, those who are victorious will inherit all of this. I will be their God, and they will be my children. So it's interesting, because he uses the word victorious. That implies that something has been defeated, and we'll get to that in one second in the next verse here. But God says, To those who are victorious, they will be my children, and I will be their God. What a great reward. But what's interesting about this victorious is we have nothing to do with it. This is like playing basketball, winning, and never touching the ball. You just stood there, and the team did everything around you, and your name still goes on the trophy at the end. Because the victory that God speaks of comes from Jesus' death and resurrection and Him saving us. So when God says to the victorious... It's to those who follow Jesus, to those who know my son, to those who worship my son, to those who have a relationship with my son. You will be my children and I will be your God. That is awesome. Part of the victory, and this is the part that might make us not so comfortable. It makes us a little squirmy. He said to me, it is done. I'm sorry, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters and all liars, they'll be consigned to the fiery lake. This is the second death. I put this on there on purpose because part of the victory that we will celebrate is sin being removed. And unfortunately for some people who did not participate in the victory, they they suffer the defeat. There's another verse in Revelation that says as Jesus is kind of wiping the earth out of sin and destroying and, and taking things down and knocking things over, his followers are floating above him, praising him for his work. Because like, our Bills can't win without beating New England. <laughs> and it sounds, that sounds like a silly metaphor compared to the seriousness of this. But part of the victory that we will be celebrating is the defeat of evil and vile and idolatry and lying and all that stuff. That's part of it. So anyways, we have all this. This is not a letdown. This is the anti-letdown. This is not bored after six days. This is not a feeling of incompletion. 
This is the feeling of being right where we're supposed to be, when we're supposed to be there, because of who was supposed to do it. Right? The reason that we constantly feel let down no matter what happens is because there's still something missing in our broken existence. But once this happens, once the new earth and new heaven are built, once we are dwelling with God and he is dwelling with us, once we are calling him our God and he is calling us our children in heaven, apart from this sinful world, there is no letdown. There is no boredom. The reason that there's no letdowns in Jesus Christ is because Jesus, his promises are perfect. So when he promises that your sin will be removed from your life as far as the east is from the west, he means that. It'll be so far removed from you that it's gone. It doesn't exist anymore. right? When he promises you an eternity in heaven because you are one of the victors, he means that. He's not lying. There's no strings attached. There's no catch. There's nothing to be worried about. There's no bait and switch. We don't have to be afraid of being scammed. right? Jesus has plans for us, and those are perfect as well. Right? Once again, our lives are not perfect because we are living in a broken and sinful world. But what Jesus has designed for us is perfect. Fortunately, what the path he has laid out for us and what actually happens look a lot different sometimes, or even most times. Jesus himself is perfect. So when we try to follow him and we allow him to step into our life, we are allowing perfection to step in. When the Father looks at us after we pass away, if Jesus exists in our heart, because Jesus is perfect, and when God examines our heart, he sees perfection. That's why there's no letdown in Jesus Christ. Jesus is everlasting and eternal. He goes on forever into the past and forever into the future. He's bigger than time. Jesus existed before time started and will exist after time ends. That's why there's no letdown, because there's no end to it. There's no three hours later, wow, we did all that for this? It's over now. There is no being over. Eternity. Lastly, the reason that there's no letdown with this idea and with the picture that is painted in Revelation is we will finally be exactly where we were designed to be. We were always created to be in right relationship with God. We were never created to be stuck in the quicksand that is sin. That was not the way God had designed and hoped for creation to be. He knew that it would get spoiled, and he knew how he was going to fix it. But the reason we are discontent, the reason that we are let down even by very good things, the reason that we are hurt and let down by bad things is because nothing about this life is the way that it was supposed to be or is the way that it is going to be in heaven. When we get there, everything will be the way that it was supposed to be all along, and then we will have this overwhelming feeling of contentment. I cannot wait for the day when I never am hungry but can always eat. I can never wait for the day where I only know the fruits of the Spirit, where anger and fear and worry and pain and mourning do not exist. I don't mean that they're not a concern or we don't have to think about it because we can pause it for a minute. They simply do not exist. That is a good day. That is a good thing. That is the anti-letdown to whatever this life has done to us throughout the past however many years. If you feel disappointed right now in how life is going, even though you're a Christian, even though you, you, know, you have a good job, even though you're healthy, even though if you feel discontent with life now, remember this. Because this is coming. 
This is promised. This is real. This is not some fairy tale that we're hoping comes true. This life in eternity after this life on earth is real. And it's what we're chasing and it's what we're hoping for and it's what we're destined for. And that is good news. Amen? Let me pray. God, I'm grateful for these promises. I'm grateful for this picture that is painted. I'm grateful for a heaven where mourning and pain and worry and fear and death don't exist. An existence where all lying and deceiving and immorality and evil is, is gone, destroyed. Not somewhere else in the world where we don't have to think about it. It's non-existent. Removed from all of creation. These promises give us hope. These promises give us something to look forward to, something to latch onto, something to strive toward. If this was it, if what this world had to offer was it, man, if that left us, that would leave us feeling empty and wanting more and broken and desperate. Instead, we do feel beat up. We do feel broken sometimes. We do feel hurt sometimes. But we know that this is not the end. We know that there are bigger, brighter, and better things ahead as promised by you in your scriptures. So help us to focus on those things. Help us to look past whatever it is in the short and the long term that has us afraid or worried or has us feeling the weight of sin. Because we know freedom and release is coming. When we exist with you, when we dwell with you, and you are our God and we are your children in heaven. God, we love you and we're grateful for what you've done for us and what you will do for us. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.